We will be in Romans uh, chapter 5, starting in verse 20, and we'll make our way into Romans chapter 6, verse 2. Uh, there's a big heading, it's called sanctification, and that'll be chapters 6 through 8 of Romans. Chapters 6 through 8 of Romans is covers sanctification. Uh, the heading for this section that we're going to be in is the presence of the sin nature versus uh, Romans chapter 5 verse 20 through Romans chapter 6 verse 2a. Uh, that verse, verse 2 is going to be chopped in half basically. The first half is going to fall under this heading, and the next half is going to fall under the next paragraph heading. What's, what, the, just a big heading would be sanctification, but the heading for the for this uh, division, paragraph division, okay. is the presence of the sin nature. The presence of the sin nature. And that is Romans chapter 5, verse 20. Through Romans chapter 6, verse 2a. Letter A as in apple. 6 2a. 6 2a. I feel like going back to math class when they started adding numbers. I mean letters to numbers. It's confusing. <laughs> the presence of the sin nature. Romans chapter 5, verse 20. Through Romans chapter 6, verse 2 Hey, and we're just going to, uh, whenever you get to Romans chapter 5, verse 20, say amen. Amen. Man, you guys are getting really good. Okay, I'm just going to go ahead and read. Uh, I'll read all of verse 2, just because it would be weird to stop right in the middle of verse 2. So I'm just going to read all of uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 2. So from 5.20 to 6.2. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin has reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we who are dead to sin live any longer therein? If you haven't noticed so far, <laughs> for those of you that have been to classes already, uh, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm nervous about the, about these next parts because it's really, really important to understand. Uh, so as we travel through Romans six, seven, and eight, pray your heart, pray your heart out <laughs> that that the Lord would help us all to understand. Because I, if I don't have a clear understanding of it and portray it in my words correctly, then you you guys miss out. Uh, so it's, it's, I, just, I feel the weight of it. I'll just say that the weight of portraying this clearly so it can be understood is vitally important. So just keep that in prayer as we move through all of this. With that being said, uh, by the way, before I forget, uh, in verse 2 of Romans chapter 6 where it says God forbid that's where the we're going to divide the verse 
So the how shall we who are dead to sin live any longer, that'll be under another heading. But God forbid we'll be under this heading. Okay, the presence of the sin nature, and I already gave you those verses, so let's just jump on in. Dad, if you can go ahead and read. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. This has reference to the law of Moses, which we covered last class. We talked about that. The very purpose of the law is to expose sin and define it. When the law did this, offenses abounded. Uh, Denny says, the offense is multiplied because the law encountering the flesh evokes its natural antagonism to God, antagonism of the flesh to God, and so stimulates it into disobedience. As the offenses multiplied, and for several reasons, the need of redemption and the sense of that need were intensified. So the law of Moses entered into the world so that men could clearly see, I'm sinful, I need a redeemer to save me. That's the whole purpose of the law, is to reveal that. That's why when the law came in, sin abounded. The sin was already there, but the law pointed it out as sin, which makes it, oh, shoot. <laughs> There it is. I'm a sinner. Okay, I didn't know that before the law came, but once the law came, I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. Yes. And then in comes the sacrificial system as a type of Christ, points to Christ to show you the Redeemer. Amen? Amen. Amen. Israel could not obey the Ten Commandments, at least in her own power, and neither can man presently. Due to the depraved nature of man, due to the fall, he is totally lacking in capability of keeping the law no matter how hard he tries. Remember, uh, we're talking about, I'm talking about unredeemed man right now. Unredeemed man. I, I know uh, for my own self, mainly in verse 21, my thought process, when I first studied it and read it, when I was in Bible college, I thought about it through, because I was saved, so I thought about it as a saved person. And then when I studied it for this class, the Lord said, "Think, don't view verse 21 as a saved man, view that as an unsaved man. So, and that cleared it up, so hopefully that'll, that'll show. So as an unsaved man, we totally rebelled against the law. Totally. I mean, we, we were dead in sins and trespasses. So we just rebelled. That's just, it was our natural thing. In our own strength, in our own ability, we cannot keep the law. Period. The very presence of law creates a desire to do the very opposite of what the law demands. The reason, the reason that that happens in us is because of the law of sin and death in the flesh. And we'll see that later on in Romans chapter 8. But that's the reason that we just naturally rebel. That's why we, especially with younger, the younger, I say younger, my generation, I guess. <laughs> the younger generation, those evil younger people. <laughs> uh, that would be me. I was on the What, you know, what's talked about in the world is that when the younger generation, well, they just rebel against authority. 
Well, what they need is more discipline. What they need is to get saved. Because the rebellion against authority is the sin nature in action. That's why they rebel against authority. Before I got saved, my parents laid down a few laws when I lived in the house. <laughs> you cannot do this. Well, guess what Tanner wanted to do? <laughs> Whatever Tanner could not do, that is what I wanted to do. I was a chicken, so I never snuck out of the house. <laughs> I was not allowed to sneak out of the house, and they didn't have to worry about that because I was scared of the dark. <laughs> the Lord put a fear of the dark in me. So I, there was a lot of things I did not do. There were a lot of things that I did, I absolutely did, because well, I'm not supposed to do that. Can I, can we, I'm just going to be honest, okay? Before I turned 21, I didn't get saved until I was 24 years old. Before I turned 21, drinking was so much fun. Why? I'm, I'm unsaved. I'm unsaved. We're not talking about salvation here. Just before I got saved. I'm, sorry, yes, wait. Definitely before I got saved. Once I got saved, drinking, not fun. Don't want to do it. <laughs> but just, I'm just giving you the law concept here. Before I, before I turned 21, drinking, it had more of an appeal to me. Because it was illegal. Yeah. Yeah. There was a law that said if you're under 21, you cannot drink. You break the law. Yeah. So what did we want to do if we were under 21? We wanted to drink. Well, that's cool. Yeah. We thought rebelling against law was cool. Because of what? The sin nature. Yeah. It was just natural. We wanted to do it. No, no, no. You can't. You have to be over 21 to drink. We're under 21. Drinking was fun because it had it had the because it was rebellion. Mm -hmm. Be real. Once I turned 21, it wasn't as fun. Yeah. I, I still I wasn't saved, so I still drank. But it lost some of its appeal because now there was no law that said you can't drink. It was lawful for me to drink. The appeal of drinking became less. See how law excited, it strengthened the desire to drink because it was illegal. Because the law said, you shall not drink unless you're 21 or over. And we were under 21, so we about to drink, baby. <laughs> You knew it wasn't by yourself. No, yeah. I, 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 no, no, we were. We, we did the same thing. And we were. And it, we, we saw earlier in Romans, we rejoice in our sin. You get a bunch of unsaved people together, and the conversation is all about sin. Yeah. Man, what y'all do this weekend? Man, we went, we went and got drunk. We had a party this weekend. We. Got drunk. We did all kind of this and that. We're glorying over sin. Unsaved world. Glorying over sin. So I, I don't want you to think I'm not glorying over the. I'm just showing the law. The law aspect. Okay. 
I don't drink anymore. Praise God. Praise God. The Lord, the Lord delivered me from alcohol like that. And what you have in Christ is way better than that, that bottle can ever give you. And for the sake of all of this, we won't get in because I'll preach a message on that. Okay. Law of any nature will have the same effect upon the believer as the old law of Moses. So now let's transition back to believer. As an unbeliever, the law has that effect. As a believer, it has the same effect. Law on a believer will have the same effect as law on an unbeliever. That's the part that gets real confusing for a believer because the law is good and right. But it still has the same effect upon us. It strengthens the desire to rebel against it. The effect, to, the effort, the effort to keep such instead of bringing about holiness and righteousness, as some think, do the very opposite. It increases failure. So, a lot of it in Christian circles, law is presented to people, and they believe that if I do this, it will help me live holy and righteous. But based off of what scripture says and portrays, it will do the opposite. Because the purpose of the law is to make sin abound. The purpose of the law is to point out sin for what it is. Sin. So when you apply law to your life as a believer, <laughs> guess what the law is going to do? Point out sin, which does not make you feel holy or righteous. <laughs> because you just see, I'm failing, oh, I'm failing, I'm failing, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner. And you just dig in a hole, you're going down real, real fast. And we're going to see a lot more of that in Romans chapter 7. But for the sake of all this, we need to just kind of talk about it for a little bit. The design of the law was that Israel would see that it was impossible of obedience and then would throw themselves on the mercy and grace of God through the sacrifices. So the whole idea was for the law was to bring them like a schoolmaster to the sacrifice, to the Redeemer. That's what in Galatians it says that it was the schoolmaster, a tutor to bring you to Christ. You're back. And once you get to Christ, guess what you don't need? You don't need a schoolmaster or a tutor to bring you there anymore because you're there. You have, you've arrived at the end. Christ. That's why it says Christ is the end of the law. Okay, the next part. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. This sums up the entirety of this scenario as described or portrayed by Paul. Even though sin was rampant from the very beginning after the fall and then abounded to ginormous proportions after the law was given, still grace abounded even more, much more. Praise God for that. Paul actually said, where sin increased, grace superabounded. And then some on top of that. So it's kind of weird, but... 
I guess the way it was described and, and worded, it, you know, it made me think of uh, when you're a kid and you get ice cream, like an ice cream cone, and you get a scoop, but every once in a while, you'll get two or three scoops, and you, your face lights up. I mean, it's like you're like a Christmas tree. Like, man, one scoop was great, but two. God's grace is like that. Not just one scoop. Two, three, four, sprinkles. Whipped cream and then a cherry or whatever it is you like. I love Heath bars, so put some Heath bar crunches on there. God's grace not is not it doesn't just abound; it super abounds much more than you will ever have need of. That's how much grace is available. Look, it's amazing what the. The Lord will use in your own heart and life and your mind to show to bring a picture to something. Now I want now I want ice cream. I agree with Heath Bars. <laughs> the idea is that irrespective as to how bad sin is in the life of an unbeliever, irrespective of its depths, its depravity. There is always enough of the grace of God to cleanse the sinner of all sin, in effect, setting the captive free. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. If you, if you, if you, if you, you know, didn't do, if you think you didn't do too bad before you got saved, then. You might just have an amen for that. Mm. <laughs> See, but if you know before you got saved, now I was real, real bad off. But the grace of God was powerful enough to cleanse me of all of my sins. Then it's not just a amen. Glory. Mm. It's not, you, it, you don't get just an amen. You won't have that reaction. <laughs> That's not your. I'll tell you what you will have. You will have a Pentecostal fit <laughs> when the Spirit of God makes real to you that all of your past, no matter how bad, the grace of God is enough to erase it. Then you get a. It's a different kind of reaction. But you guys might just been, you know, so it's just a That's an ice cream pan. It's two, The grace of God is so powerful that the worst of the worst. Hitler, the grace of God is enough that if he would have said yes to Jesus. That's right. That's right. See, now that brings a different picture to him. That'll give you a, mm, mm, 
That's grace. That, that is power. We are the ones that struggle to believe that, but not God. Because He knows the power of His grace. My Lord, I think it's in the book of Ephesians. When we got to that in Bible college, I rejoice. It says that we are trophies of His grace. That by the time this is all said and done, and it's all wrapped up, and we are in glory, you are a trophy in the case of God that says, my grace did that. It's not about you. It's about His. It's about Him. His grace. At the end of it, it's His grace that shines. So, for the name of Jesus, you darn right saved the child molester. That's one heck of a trophy of grace. And on the flip side, for that one that he saved when they were two years old and they never were gripped by the, by the power of sin and driven into that bondage, that is a trophy of his grace. It works the same on both ends of the spectrum. Some people never, they don't experience all of that. Praise God, because God saved them at a young age. That's just as much grace as the child who didn't get saved until right at the end. Some people think, oh, I don't have a testimony. I don't have a testimony because I didn't, I never, I never did this. I never did that. <laughs> oh yes, you do. That is a testimony in itself. And you have, we all, each one of us have the greatest testimony that you could ever have. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, not I that lives, Christ lives in me. That is the testimony. And it doesn't matter how far you got into sin or how far you didn't. It's the same testimony. I'm crucified with Christ. The old man is dead. Who cares how far the old man went into sin? He's dead anyway. <laughs> it doesn't matter who I am in Christ. That's what matters now. Where was I? You guys. I tell you what, I tell you, what you guys made me preach. Okay, regarding the believer. Grace never gives a license to sin, but rather liberty to live a holy life, for grace has power. And we're going to see that as we move forward here. So, Dad, the next one. That as sin has reigned unto death. This refers, this, um, this is verse 21, by the way, I'm sorry, I didn't see that. <clears throat> this refers to reigning as a king. Now this is I, I, we went covered a whole lot of stuff last class because I knew we're going to be slowing down quite a bit through six, seven, and eight. But it's vitally important, which I said at the beginning. So now I'm just blah, blah, blah. okay. So this refers to reigning as a king. Here, sin is personified and refers to a nature. The totally depraved nature of the unsaved person. So remember, we're thinking about this of what I was like before I got saved. 
Before I got saved, sin hath reigned unto death. This sin nature reigns as an absolute monarch in his being. So the sin nature, before I got saved, the sin nature reigned over me like a king on a throne. We have, in America, we have a, somewhat of a hard time picturing this because we have democracy. Yeah, true. But a lot of people don't have democracy. Yeah. It's a dictatorship. Yeah. And whatever the dictator says goes and you follow it. You don't have a choice. You can't choose. Nah, I ain't going to do that. <laughs> you don't have that choice. A good, a really good picture of this is if you go back to the book of Exodus and the children of Israel under the hand of Pharaoh. Yeah. They didn't have a choice whether they were going to make bricks or not. That's right. Pharaoh said, make bricks. Yeah. You made bricks. That's bondage. They were enslaved to Pharaoh. Yeah. Before we got saved, we were enslaved to the sin nature. The sin nature said, before I got saved, it's time to drink. And I had a desire to drink and I went and chased after that until I fulfilled the desire and it promised life. But instead I received death. And it, so it says, unto death, actually means in the sphere of death. Acts of sin don't reign, but the sin nature did reign in our life and heart as a king on a throne. Acts of sin is just proof and evidence that the sin nature is reigning like a king on the throne. And I'm not talking about Oh, I messed up. I'm talking about habitually, like a lifestyle of sin. Well, guess what you got reigning? The sin nature is on the throne of your heart and the throne of your life. And you're enslaved to that thing. So can, do we all kind of get the, uh, the sin nature? Before we got saved, the sin nature reigned like a king. And not a good king. An evil king on the throne of our heart. They said, you will do this. And you couldn't say no. You think maybe Satan was helping you out? Oh, you were, you had no you had no you had no defense against the sin nature. You you helped us. Just like the Israelites, they had no defense against Pharaoh. There was nothing they could do. He said, build bricks, and you weren't about to say no. No, I ain't building no bricks for you. Yeah, you'd be dead. That's how it is for an unbeliever and the sin nature. The sin nature says, do this, you do it. Because you're a slave. And he's ruling over you like a master. That's how strong the sin nature is. It's not just like, eh, yeah, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. Before you got saved, when you were unsaved, your whole life was built around sin. Everything that you did pursued after sin. And if you did something nice for somebody else, it had selfish motives all over it. Yeah. <laughs> I'll scratch your back, you scratch my back. 
You didn't do nothing nice. That's sin. You did it for selfish gain. That's selfishness. And the sin nature is dominating you. Let's look at uh, the paper. One of these papers. <laughs> Got so many papers. Okay, let's see. The one that says the sin nature, and then it has grammatical clues, and the sin nature defined. Ah, luckily I have it all written down because I like to write stuff. Whenever you get that paper, just say amen. amen. Man, you guys are just phenomenal. This is great. So, okay, let's look at the one. That, I'm going to get this paper before I get out. Follow along with you guys. Okay, the, the, it says the sin nature, and we'll look at the, first, the bullets. The word sin is used 19 times in Romans chapter 5, verse 20, through Romans chapter 6, verse 23. So, I'm just, I'm just showing you, basically through this, I want to show you that it really does, it, it points to the sin nature, even though in the King James it says sin Grammatical clues and all these different things show and reveal that it should have been translated the sin nature. And that's what the, the, the King James Version and the Young's Literal, that shows you everywhere that it says sin, that it should have been translated the sin nature. Now it says the sin in Young's Literal Version, but it, the sin nature, the same thing. If, and if, you, if you read Scripture... And plug in this de-sin nature instead of reading just sin. If you will understand Romans chapter 6 like you never have before. It will clear up so many, so many different things. You know what? Let's go ahead and do. Let's go ahead and look at that King James Version real quick before we jump back to this. And let's just, let's just read. Uh, let's read the Young's Literal Version. So that way we can see. And, and I'm actually going to say the sin nature instead of just the sin. So, and law came in that the offense might abound. And where the sin nature did abound, the grace did abound. That even as the sin nature did reign in the death, so also the grace may reign through righteousness to life age during through Jesus Christ our Lord. What then shall we say? Shall we continue in the sin nature that the grace may abound? Let it not be. We who died to the sin nature, how shall we live in it? And then it goes on. We could read through the rest of uh, Romans, but that just gives you an idea of how it changes it. You can all of a sudden... It makes a lot more sense now the passage uh, and it'll clear if, if there was if you had any wrong interpretations it will help clear it up. So let's get back to the sin nature. Hey, the page that says the sin nature. Okay, I'll read it. Can you have that same concept throughout all scripture? Not necessarily. Uh, definitely Romans and in first John, which we're gonna see that a little bit later, in first John. It also has the same thing, but not necessarily everywhere. You have to go and look in the, in the Greek for, and we'll see that on this page, grammatical clues and different things. Did you have That's what I wanted to say. It's, it's different because the Greek word was different. Like, 
sometimes a sin as a as a singular article, like just the sin, is it for the sin nature? And I can't remember the Greek words, but I know that they're in our notes. And if I find it while I'm in there, I'll tell you what it is. But it's because the original words were different. They meant two different things. Right. Okay, um, okay, so I'm just going to, we'll let's just start over. The word sin is used 19 times in Romans chapter 5, verse 20, through Romans chapter 6, verse 23. It is used 17 times in Romans chapter 6, verse 1, through Romans chapter 6, verse 23. The word sin is a noun accompanied with a definite article 14 times, which means it would read the sin. The word sin is a noun with no definite article two times in Romans chapter 6 verse 16 and in Romans chapter 6 verse 14. A noun is a person, place, or thing, which is just, you know, if you pay attention in English class, which I actually did not pay attention too much. <laughs> the word sin is only used in verb form one time. And that's Romans chapter 6, verse 15. And I'm going to go there and actually read it. So when it's in verb form, verb is what you do. So uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 15 says, What then? Shall we sin? Because we are not under the law, but under grace. So in Romans chapter 6, verse 15, it's a verb, as in acts of sin. But everywhere else, it's a noun. It's used as a noun in the Greek. That's why you have, you have to go look the word up in the Greek, and it'll tell you the... Uh, oh, shoot, my mind went blank. The... Uh, yeah, basically, adjective, and whether it's an adjective, noun, or all of that, it'll tell you that. And that's, that is, because it's a noun, it can't mean acts of sin. Because a noun is a person, place, or thing. So, that can't be acts of sin, because acts of sin, they're not a person, they're not a place, and they're not a thing. They would be a verb. So, grammatical clues to the sin nature. The word hamartia is a transliteration of the Greek word. Noun refers to a person, place, or thing. Singular noun eliminates the plural idea of sins. So there are times where the word sin is a noun and it's a singular noun. It doesn't necessarily have the definite article before it, but it's a singular noun, which means just one. <laughs> the definite article points to a specific state of sin. So it would read the sin. And, it, and then it's personified as a king that reigns in Romans chapter 5, verse 21. Uh, the sin nature defined. Nature is the inherent character or basic constitution of a person or thing, what man is at the core of his being. Psalms 51 verse 5 says, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. That was David. Yeah. And I've actually heard, I've, I, I, I heard a message on that. It was about David, and anyway, they went to that passage of scripture, and they said that because of 
what Psalms 51.5 says, that they believe that David's father had a had David in an adulterous relationship, basically. That's, that, I'm, I'm not talking about just somebody sitting. I'm talking about a minister behind a pulpit talking to young kids, youth, age, kids. That's what he said. And I'll just tell you right now the error in that statement. If that is true, then the line of the Messiah is corrupted. So whether that minister knew what he said or not, by saying that David's father, Jesse, Jesse, thank you, Jesse, what a, Jesse, that's him. <laughs> if Jesse would have had David with another woman besides, and I'm not, we're not talking because then they had concubines. I'm not talking about yeah, that. Yeah. I'm talking about should be, you know, hey, nah. <laughs> That would mean that the line of Messiah wasn't pure any longer. So, even though that minister had no idea what he had just said, blatant error was just said from behind a pulpit that basically would have, if that statement is true, then Jesus is not the Son of God and none of us are saved. Now, he would never say that, but in that statement, if you think that 51 Psalms 51.5 proves that, that Jesse had David from a side, whatever, you know, you know, just... He was playing with somebody else's heifer. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. If that's true, then Jesus Christ is not the Son of God. But it's not true. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We are saved because of what He did at Calvary. Praise God. Oh, and I'll tell you what that passage of Scripture means. That passage of Scripture means that we have a sin nature. <laughs> but if you don't know about the sin nature, then you will interpret Scripture wrongly. One of the things to uh, point out too in that particular psalm is that that was a that was David's repent psalm. That was a repentance prayer or psalm yeah. uh, from when he sinned with Bathsheba. Yeah. That whole thing was about his repentance from that uh, sin that he committed. And it's a beautiful, beautiful prayer. And you see redemption, the plan of God all over that prayer. Yeah. Um, it is just incredible. If you really look at it in the eye with the lens of the cross, what we now know that what Jesus did for us, if you really knowing that and then read that psalm, and you can see that all over it. it, it he was David was trusting in a savior. Yeah. <laughs> he was trusting in something outside of himself yeah. uh, because he knew he had no righteousness in him, and that was part of that. That statement was part of that pointing that out and recognizing that I am a sinner. I have a sin nature. You were saying so. Okay, so the next one is also, and it's also known as, uh, the sin nature is also known as the sin principle, the Adamic nature, the old man, the evil nature. 
Okay. The biggest problem for us is not acts of sin, but the root of those acts of sin. If you try to address the acts of sin, you're not you're missing the you're missing it. The problem is not the acts of sin. The problem is the root of sin. It's like if you have the flu, and with the flu, there are a bunch of different symptoms, right? There's what, coughing, uh, fever, body ache. There's so many different, there's all these different symptoms. If you have the flu and you take cough syrup just for the coughing part of the flu, you might not be coughing, but you still got the flu. You'll still have other symptoms. In the church world, we, we do the same thing. We address the symptoms, which is acts of sin. Well, if we can just get to that act of sin, if, if you know what, you have a problem with alcohol, you know, you, you, you're a drunkard, then we just got to address that and you'll be good. No, 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 no. There will be, there's other symptoms to that disease. The disease is sin. Yes. And there will be many symptoms, exactly, many symptoms of the one disease. You don't attack symptoms, you attack the virus. The disease. That's the sin nature. When, when you know that there is a sin nature, that you have a sin nature, that it's scriptural, and when you know that, you now have isolated the germ. Does that make sense? Now it can be treated. But if you, just like in medical, Sarah knows more medical than, than I do. I'm, you know, I'm just a simple, uh, I, I are dumb. <laughs> but if there's a virus, then you they, then they have to isolate that germ before they can come up with a, a, a cure for it. If you don't isolate it, you, you can't get the cure. Same thing, the sin nature. We have to isolate and figure out, that's it, the sin nature, that's it. And then there's a cure for it, and we're, we're going to find out the cure in Romans chapter 6. The person that keeps going to a psychiatrist to try to uncover what's making them do all this over and over, he keeps digging up the symptoms. He never gets to the Right, exactly. That's exactly right. That is why psychology will never work. No, it never work. And it puts the blame on pretty much everything else but you. Well, you know, it's your environment. Nah, nobody, it's you. Yeah. And then it becomes a crutch because then you, yeah. you actually never get cured. Right. And I'm a family member, so I love so much, but you always think, well, it's just kind of who I am, it's just what I am now. Because they know you have healing in Jesus' name, you know, yeah. you know, and so women on your environment, they yeah. have the symptoms and they never actually get cured. It's bad when you know the truth. Right. And you try to tell somebody yeah. and they don't want to listen to yeah. you. Yeah. They want the easy way out. Yeah. Right. right. They don't want to answer for anything. Yeah. yeah. And it's the sin nature. That's it. Yeah. That is exactly why I love psychology never <laughs> it will never work that's man's way to fix man and you know what flesh can't fix flesh uh, the next the next part Dad. even so my grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life like Jesus Christ our Lord presents what Jesus has done in order to save men from this death of sin 
Sin reigns unto death. Grace reigns unto life. But it reigns through righteousness. Uh, I.e. because of God's righteous judgment of sin at Calvary. Executed in the person of his son Jesus Christ. Uh, Williams said that. Grace reigning doesn't mean that I am perfect. It means I am set up to be perfected. That is really, really important to understand because exactly you are a work in progress, but you're on the right road and one day you'll get there. But if you're on the wrong road, you ain't never going to get there. <laughs> so that's it. Really, you're on the right path, but you're not. You won't be perfect until the trump of God sounds. Right. And we go going home. <laughs> Praise God. We must choose the process that God has ordained each and every day. It's not a one-time decision. It's a daily decision. That we have to choose. I'm going to go God's way today. Which is faith and grace. I express faith in Christ and what he's done at Calvary. And when I do that. I receive the grace of God and the Holy Spirit can work in my heart and in my life. And I've got to continuously place faith, receive grace, place faith in Christ and the cross, receive grace. Place. If I stop placing faith in Christ and the cross, guess what? I stop getting grace. grace, which means if I'm not getting grace, then guess what's about to start raining? This sin nature. It's about to. Hop back up on that throne. And you can feel it kind of Oh yeah. You will be you will as a saved person, you'll be doing things that you did before you even got saved. And you'll be freaking out. Because you have been changed and you don't want to do it. And we'll see more of that later on in Romans chapter 7. So let's keep on trucking away. So as the sin nature reigned unto death. Let the grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ, our Lord. That word, uh, I, I, like, I like that it says the grace, which means it's a certain kind of grace. Yeah. Uh, we don't just need grace. We need a certain kind of grace. Amen. We need the grace. Mm. Okay, chapter 6, verse 1, chapter what shall we say then? Is meant to direct attention to Romans chapter 5 verse 20. So Romans chapter 5 verse 20 says, Moreover the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Paul is not asking these questions because he doesn't know the answer, but rather because of erroneous interpretations by others placed upon the great doctrine of grace as preached by Paul. The doctrine of grace, especially that which declares justification to be by faith apart from works, excites the enmity of the natural heart. This is shown by the outcry of verse 1. Human reasoning conflicts with divine teaching. Uh, I heard a minister, I didn't hear it. I, when I was in Bible college, they told me this, told me this story. One of, the, one of the younger guys in Bible college was talking to a pastor in Baton Rouge. And he 
went through scripture and explained the message of the cross to him and presented it. And the pastor said, I totally, doctrinally, I totally agree with everything that you say. But if I preach that to my people, they'll go crazy in sin. His natural human reasoning conflicted with divine teaching. Divine teaching says the only way to be free from sin is grace. Yeah. That's right. But yet, and what it showed was unbelief in that minister. Yeah, well, I don't believe that grace is enough. That if, it, if I just give the people grace, then they're going to go crazy in sin. Brother, you give them law, they're going to go crazy in sin. And there's no recourse. There's no, exactly. there's no recourse from the sin nature. You have a bunch of hypocrites running around your church. Because they'll have the mask of Christ on, but they'll be totally dominated by the sin nature. And you got broken believers that are saved and love God with all their heart, but they'll be miserably saved. Because they, they can't live victorious over sin. They're dominated by the sin nature. And God, that's not God's will for us. The next part. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? This was either asked by someone or else made as a statement. By legalists who did not understand grace, or else understood it but did not believe in grace, which we just kind of told you an example of that in modern times. <laughs> this person was either claiming that he could sin all he wanted to, and grace would cover it, or else he was claiming that Paul was teaching something that gave people a license to sin. So Paul would have taught. It, the, the gospel and the interpretation from that man would have been, well, okay, well, you're saying that I can just sin all I want and grace is enough to cover it. Or you're saying that I can just sin. I have a license to sin. No big deal. And that was not what Paul was teaching. That was just that man's flesh interpreting what Paul was teaching wrongly, which we tend to do that a lot of times. Uh, in a lot of things, we just interpret it wrongly. When I was in Bible, I shared this before, but this is an example of my flesh <laughs> interpreting something wrongly. In Bible college, when the minister said something about trials and tribulations, my heart dropped to the floor. And I was like, nah. Because <laughs> I was terrified. <laughs> and I was like, nah, 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 nah. That's not for the child of God. Uh, that was me. That was not the Holy Spirit. That was that was me. Nah, it was rubbing the flesh the wrong way, and I wasn't having none of that because my flesh don't want no trials and no tribulations. Now I know none of y'all are like that. Y'all love you love a good trial. <laughs> They wanted to continue in the law of Moses and just simply add Jesus to that law. So a justification which was altogether by faith and totally apart from works did not set well. The very nature of the complaints rests with those who claimed spiritual maturity. A, a, a brand new believer would not have made that argument. Someone that is young in the faith and knows that they are not spiritually mature 
would not buck justification by grace because they just got saved and they didn't do anything to earn it. <laughs> so they'd be like, where is God? <laughs> but for someone that would claim spiritual maturity, somebody had been saved for a while, and they think they know some things, then they would have a problem. And that's what was happening. Someone who thought themselves greater than what they really were, they thought that they were like, man, spiritually mature. And they would have actually argued or raised these questions toward the message of grace that Paul preached. And they considered themselves a mature believer. Sometimes the true gospel will take what you you think you're mature and it'll, it'll rub your face in the mud to show you, no, you are not. <coughs> and you can fight it all you want, but it's just a lot better to just humble yourself. That's right. But if you want to fight it, I'll tell you right now, not one word from this book will return void. Yeah. Yeah. You look like a fool. Mm -hmm. That man that said that they, that Jesse had a adulterous relationship, and that's where David would have been conceived in. Word of God will not come back void, my man. And Jesus came from the line of David, which means I know it was pure. The scripture says it had to be. So what happened? That man looked like a fool. But you can believe what you want. You can find it all you want. The definite article appears before the word sin in the Greek text. It would read the sin. This means we are referring here to the sin nature. Actually to the sin nature reigning as a king. Every time the word sin is used in this chapter as a noun, substitute the word, the sin nature in its place. Uh, I'm going to read this to you. You actually have it on, on uh, that handout, actually, that uh, Paul, Paul has. Yeah, can I borrow that real quick? Uh, Romans 6, 7, and 8. What I'm about to read to you is on that handout. Romans chapter 6 presents the machinery or mechanics of the Holy Spirit in telling the believer how to have victory over sin. The position of the believer is not one of attempting to gain the victory, but rather maintaining what Jesus has already done for us. Romans chapter 8 presents the dynamics of the Holy Spirit as the source of power which enables the believer to appropriate to himself these great things Christ has done. Romans chapter 7 presents the self-dependence problem, rearing its ugly head, which prevents the Holy Spirit from giving the believer victory over the sinful nature, which stops the fruit of the Spirit from being developed. So those are just a kind of a... a, a, a say an overview I guess I would kind of it just explains it it helps you kind of understand that whole chapter a little bit better in this sixth chapter Paul is not talking about what kind of life the believer should live but by what method or how he should live that life and Kenneth Weeks said that 
The last question of verse 1 could be asked like this. Shall we continue in the sinful nature? That word continue in the Greek is M-E-N-O. I didn't type this up because it's super short. <laughs> the word continue in the Greek is M-E-N-O. M-E-N-O. And it means to remain or abide. That's why I didn't have <laughs> To remain or abide. One more time. Continue in the Greek. M-E-N-O. And it means to remain or abide. Due to the word continue, the question could be asked like this as well. Shall we as believers continue habitually to sustain the same relationship to the sin nature that we sustained before we were saved? Basically, just let me just break. I are dumb, Louisiana language. <laughs> now that you are saved, can you live the same way you did before you got saved? Totally dominated by sin, and your life was totally built around sin. Can you live that way? There you go. <laughs> of course, the answer is no, like Sarah said, everybody else said. As we can see in the next verse, uh, it says no, as we can see in the next verse. And yet, many believers are continuing to be ruled by this evil impulse. Now, I'm telling you right now, there are many believers right now that are saved, they love God with all of their heart, and yet they're dominated by the sin nature in their daily life, and they don't understand why. Some of them don't even, they've never even heard the teaching on the sin nature, that you even have it, they don't even know. All they know is that they see acts of sin in their life, and they can't stop, and they don't know what to do, and they know they shouldn't be there. Yeah, defeat. As a believer, we we know we shouldn't sin. If you you have the the Holy Spirit that lives in your heart and life, once you get saved, let there be an argument at your house if you're married between you and your spouse. And the Holy Spirit will check you. Yeah. It will smite your heart and say, you can't talk to her like that. You can't talk to him like that. Was there a law that, that told you that? Nope. No, no law. <laughs> Grace. Yes. Grace demands much more than law can ever demand. Law says don't kill your spouse. Grace says, don't raise your voice like that. That's not right. It's like the thing with, uh, uh, you know, kind of like, you know, like with adultery, you know. Yeah. If you, you know, don't forget, they said, don't commit adultery. But if you just look at a woman, you've committed adultery in your heart. Yeah. But the, we don't, we don't, like I was saying, I, I, I had a moment where I forgot where I was going, but now I remember. We, we don't need a law 
Tell us right from wrong once you get saved. You, you, the, the Holy Spirit will let you know when you did something wrong. So, as a believer, you know when you sin. Because that, yeah, the Holy Spirit is going to say, no, 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 no. So, there are believers all over the world that are dominated by the sin nature and acts of sin are happening daily. And their, their heart is smitten with guilt every time, with conviction, with conviction every time that it happens. And they have no idea about the sin nature. They have no idea how God has remedied the problem. They've never been taught how to have victory over sin. Instead, like my dad said this morning, they'll put on a dumb seminar about your marriage. And yet, the reason that you're having problems in your marriage is because of sin. And the root of those acts of sin that's causing your marriage problem is the sin nature. But if you don't know that, so you try to address it, all the symptoms, and this is the way to do it. Well, you just need to communicate more. What you need is Jesus. You need the grace of God daily. Not, not just for ministry. I'm talking about daily. I need, I need the moving and operation of the Holy Spirit in my life for ministry. But can I just be, I need it more in my daily living. I know how to get it in ministry. Get filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because that's for service. That's not for victory over sin. That's for service. Scripture says the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for service. So we need that. And you know what? I can have the moving and operation of the Holy Spirit for service because of what Jesus did at Calvary. Praise God. But how to get it in my daily life, that's different. And if you don't understand that, then you'll be dominated by the sin nature. And you have all these problems, which a bunch of Christians do. And if they weren't having these problems, then we wouldn't have seminars for marriage. Yeah. Or you can plug in whatever you want to fill in the blank. We wouldn't have to have those. So the fact that we have to have those tells me already that Christians all over the world are being dominated by the sin nature. That's why there's problems in the marriage. That's why Christians drink. That's why we go. We Christians love the world. Now that. Notice, I'm still saying Christians. They're, they're not. They're still Christians. They have accepted the Lord as their Lord. They've accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and they believe. But yet, dominated by the sin nature, and even though they love God, they still, at times, look like they are not saved, and they still do things that an unsaved person would do, like drink. Regularly, a lifestyle of drinking, a lifestyle of fornication. 
mean, Scripture actually bears this out. So, A lifestyle of jealousy, of envy, of malice, of wrath, of hate. I'm th- lifestyle. Sa- save people. And they love God. With, they, they love God. They're not hypocrites. They love God. They really do love God. But they've never heard about the sin nature. They've never been taught. So they're, they're saved, but miserably saved. Because every day they feel guilty as all get out. And they're living in condemnation. Even though that God has purchased so much more for them. As believers, as believers, we live so far below what we have in Christ. We have an inheritance in Christ that's so great, but yet we live like yeah, like well, I just try to get some, trying to, and we're just trying to get some crumbs from God, and we and people, people even use scripture for it because there is a passage where the lady said, "Just crumbs," and they say, "If I can just get some crumbs, that's all I need." Honey, <laughs> Scripture says that He'll set a table in the presence of my enemies, not some crumbs, a table. Thank God for some crumbs, but why would I want crumbs when I can have it all? You can eat buffet. Okay. The question asked by Paul is not so much with regard to particular acts of sin, but with respect to to the believer's relationship to the sin nature. All acts of sin in one's life are the result of the degree of one's yieldedness to the sin nature. That's why some some unbelievers, I've met people that don't even say that they don't drink, they don't do anything, they, they don't cuss, none of that stuff. But they're not saved. They're still dominated by the sin nature. Their life is still all about them. Selfishness is still a product of the fall. It's just all about me. But we don't see the outward like drinking. So we're like, praise God, they ain't that bad. Uh, Yeah, they lost. They are lost. They are sinners dominated by the sin nature. And the the sins that you can't See, on the outside, those are the hard ones to get rid of. Drinking, the big five, gambling, drinking, gambling, uh, fornication, uh, what's some other ones? Adultery, I mean, we got uh, uh, those. God, God take care of them like that. That's why when you get saved, a lot of that falls off right away. But what doesn't fall off? right away is the sins that can be hidden. The inward sins. Pride. Selfishness. Bitterness. See, that's the hard ones. Perhaps some questioner asked Paul the following. Paul, do you mean to say that God is willing to forgive sin as fast as man commits it? If that is the case, shall we who profess to be Christians 
continue to sustain the same relationship to the evil nature, which we did before we were saved, thus allowing acts of sin to enter our experience, thus allowing God to forgive those sins and display his grace. So, I just, so you mean to tell me, Paul, that you're saying that I can just commit acts of sin and God will forgive it just as fast as I commit. So the more acts of sin I commit, then I'll learn greater of his forgiveness and grace. Because as I sin, what do I need? Grace. And so, so my sin actually magnifies the grace of God. That's, that's the idea. That's the thought process. Is that what you're saying, Paul? The question then simmers down to the relationship of the sinful nature to the Christian. And Paul gives his answer. Verse 2. God forbid. God forbid. <laughs> Paul answers the question. Away with the thought, let not such a thing occur. And actually in the Greek, it actually brings out really, Paul didn't just say, nah. Now, he was actually pretty emotional and pretty strong about it. It was an emotional response that was like, no. Yeah. That thought process is garbage. Throw it out. Yeah. Right. That's really what Paul said to that. That's right. Which is absolutely right. Yeah. That thought process is garbage. <laughs> Throw it out. And we are not going to get into the next part, which I figured was going to happen. <laughs> the next part is, the believer is dead to the sin nature. And that's the second half of verse.